Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 6 of the Nintendo Aficionado podcast. I'm joined today by someone a little different than usual. His name is Matt. Say hello, Matt. Hi, I'm Matthew. You know, something interesting about Matthew, everybody. He is the only person I know who thinks Blast Core is Rare's best game. Hmm. You know, that's actually... You know, I, that might not be too far off. I, I think it's a pretty good good game. Definitely mm-hmm. one of their most underrated. Okay, well, we'll get into that a little bit later. We will. Uh, do you want to start by going into the news and talking a little bit about that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, so we had a Pokemon Direct, right? Yep. And we were going to record last week uh, to give all you begrudging listeners a, uh, a feel for what we thought of it. But we didn't care enough about you to do so. So we're going to talk about it this week. Yeah, so there was a couple surprise announcements um, and a couple things that had been rumored, and then they ended up being uh, proven proven correct. Um, do you, how do you want to talk about these? Do you want to go in terms of... Let's just talk about the about only thing that matters, Pokemon Snap. Okay. Mm, okay. <laughs> they showed a little bit more Pokemon Snap. That's a cool thing. Uh, you know, I, I'm still hyped on it. They they showed me enough to uh, sell me on what they're doing. They are keeping true to the original game. It looks like, and uh, expanding on it a little bit, like how you have to collect multiple um, types of poses from each of the different Pokemon. It will you know give a little bit more depth. Right. Um, but yeah, it looks pretty cool. It was different ratings too, right? Is that what it, what it was? It was like one star through four stars. Right. And then you had to yes. get a picture to fill in those ranks or years. Yeah. So I'm wondering how exactly they're going to do that. Is it, you know, each pose is a different ranking of like rarity or something. And then mm-hmm. you have to do it. Or is it just sort of like yeah. your, this picture is better. So it's four stars. And then you have to take one that is slightly worse <laughs> to get it three stars. Um, I'm, I'm assuming it's more about like each yeah. one has four poses and you have to capture each of them. Yeah, that could be very true. Um, I noticed there was another item that you could throw at the Pokemon. I'm not sure what the uh, name of it is, um, but it changes like the color of their their moves and their attacks. What do you you know what that is? Um, there was a there were a couple of different ones. Um, there was one that made them glow, right? Can't remember what they called it, yeah, but glow or shiny shiny fruit or something. Yeah. Wow, we're really good at this. I know, this is like the worst <laughs> podcast to start we've had. Um, but you know what, we're just going to keep going because I think when we get to the topic, I think we're going to really enjoy it. We spent a lot more effort on the topic today than we did on news, but we did want to talk about it. Uh, Pokemon Snap looks pretty cool. Uh, the other cool thing they showed off was a game that we have been asking for for a long time, um, but not necessarily in the version that they're giving to us, at least what we've seen so far, but Pokemon Legends Arceus right um an open world mm-hmm. uh pokemon game yeah so off the bat i got excited at the idea um it's set in kind of like the the pokemon universe's version of feudal japan um which could be a really interesting setting um but i think i'm starting to sort of sh- uh, share your sentiments in regards to the world looking a little bland looking a little empty um there's been a lot of comparisons since the trailer um, between arceus and breath of the wild and um while i guess those comparisons are warranted i would agree that breath of the wild definitely looks more filled in and more living right than what we saw with arceus 
Um, yeah, it, it looked like the world, but without the attention to detail and making sure that everything, ha- you know, you go one direction and there's something interesting to see, you go another and there's something interesting right. to do. Uh, yeah. It's just open. But I will say this is really early on. They're not even um, anticipating this this year. It's uh, going to be early, at the earliest next year, right? So uh, I'm going to hold off judgment. Uh, I also think that there's a very high likelihood that uh, they'll bring in another company to, or another side of Nintendo to help with it. Uh, I know Monolith Soft does a lot of uh, helping with fleshing out 3D worlds. So hopefully that'll be good. But um, yeah, I think it looks pretty cool being able to just wander anywhere, find find Pokemon, throw, throw the Pokeballs at them. And uh, I, I'm excited for it because, you know, we have been hoping for a big adventure-based Pokemon game for a long time. Um, I'm, I'm hoping it turns out closer to what we are we were envisioning. I will say yeah. for the for the for the listeners, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to say something for the for the record here. This is the first time that we're doing this podcast while actually uh, looking at each other via a webcam, and <laughs> I will say I feel like that's throwing us off a little bit. Um, Jason was a big advocate of I want to be able to see you. <laughs> you think so? Yeah, you're saying I want to be able to see you so you can get <laughs> visual cues, but I feel like I keep giving you the cue of like, okay, talk and <laughs> like, oh, you want me to talk now? Okay. Right. <laughs> So we're gonna we're gonna see how this well, goes. You, you are extremely. You're also extremely distorted, so I don't know if that's uh, your your connection or your webcam or that's just my what's face going on. But you're a lot more distorted than you used to be. <laughs> All right, so let's moving on. Um, oh, uh, do you want to talk about um, the new rumor regarding a Switch Pro? No, uh, there's also another Pokemon game that looks really lame. Uh, it's a Diamond and Pearl remake. Okay whatever uh now we can talk yeah. about the switch pro rumor and we are a rumors podcast right um yeah, apparently we established that a, a couple episodes ago i think it was last episode <laughs> um but this is a oh. pretty <laughs> reputable source right it was bloomberg right that uh they didn't even say it was a rumor did they they just said hey report nintendo is making a new switch with a larger Whoa. screen and 4k output yeah, I, I believe what it said was that a, an industry analyst said that they are, and okay. then Bloomberg reported on what that analyst said. Okay. So basically, this analyst is saying, um, I forgot the, the name of the company. Uh, was it? It's Samsung. Um, but I forgot yeah, the Samsung name of the company is. But um, they are making screens that are going to be specifically for this new version of the Switch. Um, I don't remember the exact dimensions, but it's supposed to be a little bit wider. I think it said and, seven inches. Okay, seven inches wide. Yeah. Um, no bezel, right? right? So bezel-less versus our traditional switches, which have, have the bezel. And then uh, it's going to supposedly, when it's docked, do 4K. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, and then it'll do 720 with the screen, So or when it's in handheld mode. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's time we're four years in. Um, it's about as long as the Wii U lasted, right? So yeah. I, I think the timing is right to give us a slightly more powerful if they're going to do that. I'm actually not really an advocate of the mid-generation plus up, but uh, Nintendo has done it in the past with their handheld line with the new uh, Nintendo 3DS. Uh, so I think it makes sense for them to do it now, or at least this year, especially before some of their bigger games come out like Breath of the Wild and potentially maybe metroid prime 4 if that ever comes out all right let's go ahead and move on to 
uh, our topic, we are going to be talking about Rare today and their Nintendo 64 output. So all the games that they put out in chronological order for the Nintendo 64, because uh, that's really where they were, where they shone, right? That, that they, they shined. Is it shown or shined? They shoned. Uh, but, but they were they were basically the 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 company right everybody wanted uh to know what rare was up to um because every time they put out a game it was gold and um want to give a little bit of history of rare's relationship with nintendo since this is specifically a nintendo podcast no third party stuff um nintendo had a pretty good what? relationship what i thought we were going to talk about ghosts and goblins and all that today um but nintendo had a pretty good relationship with rare uh even from the nes days uh they did publish some of their games um slalom uh what's a couple other ones uh anticipation uh they also did uh, snake rattle and roll uh so you know they've been a you know been doing this for a while with with rare RC and then Pro-Am. yeah uh did nintendo publish rc program yeah they did um so not not Super RC program though on Super Nintendo only the first one, uh, so mm. Nintendo's been working with them for a while. At one point, they actually bought a lot of stock in them, um, and then they actually increased it to eventually to forty nine percent, making them an official like second party. So they were very well regarded in Super Nintendo era because they did the Donkey Kong Country trilogy, um, and uh, then they. Also did a couple other games like the original Killer Instinct, and so you know, they they had a close partnership with Nintendo. And at this time in history, they actually were officially part of Nintendo in that regard. So that's why we're talking about them. Uh, most of these games are published by Nintendo. However, I believe four of them were uh, exclusively distributed by Nintendo, which is another area that we are allowing for this podcast. Uh, so, which means that they were actually self-published by Rare, but Nintendo handled all the distribution of the game. So, uh, and I don't know exactly why they did that. I think, you know, sometimes that Rare wanted to publish. And I think I'm, I'm not sure of the business side of it too much. I'm sure that publishing allows them to have maybe a larger chunk of the sales or something. But um, yeah, so we'll, we'll, yeah, go, sure we'll get into that. We'll go over the four. Yeah. Cool, cool. So um, we'll start with number one, Killer Instinct Gold. Cool. Um, so I have an interesting little anecdote regarding this game. Um, when I first got my N64 from my family for Easter, <laughs> Matthew always makes fun of me for that. Um, <laughs> I, I got chocolate it, eggs and you got a Nintendo 64. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, it was obvious my mom and grandma were spoiling us. But um, So we got Killer Instinct Gold and Super Mario 64. And I remember spending a lot of time in Killer Instinct Gold. I loved that game because it, it felt like... Well, obviously it was mature, right? Or no, it's teen. Feels mature. It does feel mature, but um, I guess not. But no it, blood, really. No real blood. Yeah, I don't think there's any blood, but um, it just felt gritty, you know. And as a kid, um, it just felt it felt fun. It felt like I was, you know, doing something really cool. And especially when you'd like beat your enemies, and and when I eventually beat the game, I just felt so accomplished because <laughs> the game is pretty hard. <laughs> Um, do you have any uh, interesting stories regarding this one? Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I played it uh, a bit. I did play through the story uh, at least once, and I, I could never fully get into it though. And I, I'm curious, you know, to hear if you played it the way I did, or if 
you did it the way I think they're supposed to. I, I mean, I, I really did the whole, you know, just punch and avoid as best as I could. And um, But really, the game is meant for combos and learning the combos and the combo breakers. Yeah. Uh, and I I don't know, my the way my mind works when I'm playing a fighting game, the combos just really don't, don't gel with my mind. Um, did you did you end up actually yeah. you know, doing it? No? No, I, I the same thing. I, I could not get the combos down. I just, I would always choose full gore and I just went at it, you know? Um, yeah. Occasionally, I'd get lucky, <laughs> and you'd you'd uh, pull off some crazy move. They're like, "Oh crap! Like, what did I just do?" But uh, you're never going to replicate it because I have no idea how I did it. You know, that's called button mashing. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah, it, it was a it was a cool game, and the interesting thing is, that, um, so obviously they made Killer Instinct for Super Nintendo, uh, and also for arcade, and then they had Killer Killer Instinct two in arcade. And this was technically Killer Instinct 2, even though it wasn't called that. Uh, I'm, I know there were some some minor changes to it, but essentially this was the uh, the version that we didn't officially get from the arcade. So it's a good game. I, yeah. Definitely one of my nice. least least favorites uh, of theirs on the console, but it's it's nice to have okay. it. Hmm. And I mean, I, I really think that it says it's 60 frames per second. Huh. All right. Yeah, I I really think that if it were still you know part of Nintendo and they put out a new Killer Instinct, I think that'd be a great addition to the Switch right now because I kind of feel like the first party output is lacking in in that area. So it was nice to have that in that time frame. All right, next game. Is it my favorite one? Cool. It's your favorite game, Last Core. All right. So what do you think about this game? I remember renting this from Blockbuster. I think I don't think I rented it more than once. Um, I don't think I had too much fun with it. Um, it's it's kind of forgettable. Uh, I've tried really? going back to it before. Yeah, I tried going yeah. back to it, and it was just kind of like uh, I think it's the camera. Okay. It's kind of a uh, restrictive, you know, right. the isometric camera where it's just like kind of like zoomed in, like you can't really pan around to see like where you want to go. It's kind of like you have to head in a direction and hope that you're going in the right direction. Okay. But, yeah, and I, I agree with that. The, the The camera does take some getting used to. Um, and as a whole, I think the game is not as easy to just jump into and understand the value in it. Right. But if you give it the time, it is definitely one of their most underappreciated games. Um, mm-hmm. For those who aren't really familiar, the, the goal basically, um, the, each level has like slightly different goals, right? But in essence, the goal is to destroy everything um and it's essentially a puzzle action game so you can you use different types of uh types of machines to to do those you know do do those different uh, tasks that you're um, set out with and it starts off pretty simple you know you just said hey destroy everything within a given time limit um but then you you know ends up having puzzle elements where you have to destroy something to get to another area that'll let you access another thing that'll let you get back to this other area. It's all under time limit. So it's a fun arcadey puzzle uh, action game. And, you know, if you haven't really gotten into it, Jason, I, I think you should maybe give it another go because there's a lot of, like, really cool things that they did in that game. I'd love to see another one. And this yeah. is definitely one of our biggest... We should probably talk about the, sto- the story a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> we should probably talk about the story. Um, it says basically what you're doing is you're trying to clear a path for. It says a yes. defective nuclear missiles are en route to a safe detonation site, but they're badly damaged, and so the carriers automatically lock onto the most direct route. 
and then it's your job as the blast core to clear their uh, clear the path because if yes. they touch a single piece of rubble or building they'll explode yeah yeah and that's where the time limit of it comes in is that you yeah. you really have to be managing that and so yeah it's fun i like it and they, the story speaking of story they actually did uh, i think rare published uh, a comic um before like at the game's release or before the game's release to kind of hype it up um so that's a interesting little thing to look out for i don't think that it's published by nintendo so technically we shouldn't be talking about it uh but i just did so sue me all right what is game number three <laughs> all right game number three the big one goldeneye 007 we could spend a lot of time on this game for what it meant for the industry um i actually didn't spend quite as much time in it uh playing multiplayer, which most people fondly remember it for. Mm -hmm. um, I spent a lot of time in a single player game with Game Shark. Okay. So after I'm... I beat the game, my brother eventually got Game Shark and we just had so much fun finding different, you know, different little things that the Game Shark could do within the game. Um, yeah, I just had a blast with that game. The music, everything. Nice. What'd you think? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm similar, similar to you. I did play it a little bit with, um, you know, I, there were some party type scenarios where I went to and they were playing. Uh, so sure. I played a little bit in multiplayer. Uh, but yeah, the, the single player is really what, what sold me on it. Uh, I loved what they did with it. You know, they brought first person shooting to uh, to consoles for better or worse, because for a long period of time, that was uh, a genre that ended up being much more popular than other games I would have liked to have been popular. <laughs> But it, it did it, and this game was a cool way to do it. Um, they, you know, had mission-based objectives. It was more or less linear. Uh, you know, the fact that it was linear with some missions, and you had to figure out where to go and how to get there and how to get past certain enemies, also sort of lent it a little bit of a puzzle sort of feel. So it wasn't just purely Twitch sort of mm -hmm. gameplay. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was a yeah. James Bond game. It was based on the movie, and that was really a really cool. Um, you know, concept to see a big Nintendo published game based on this movie and um, totally doing something new with the first person right. genre. Yeah, had gadgets, had all sorts of stuff. It wasn't just guns. Yeah, and and I, I enjoyed the first person genre at this time frame a whole lot more than what it evolved into. So if I'm looking back at first person games that I like, it's going to be a game like GoldenEye. Um, I was never a huge fan of it. It was never something that, you know, if I look back on N64 games, I know most people would be put that in their top five. Probably wouldn't even scratch the surface up to like the top 15 for me, but uh, it's definitely a, a fun game and something that I'm, I'm again, I, Rare was creating like a div diversity of games for the console that, you know, we weren't getting, at least at this point in their, in their history with the Nintendo 64. Yeah. And they were highly successful. Okay, so oh, yeah. on to number four. This um, is one of the biggest selling games, by the way. Oh, and another quick little tidbit. Um, I believe Rare was also working on a is it Tomorrow Never Dies game before they were there they were like early stages of it, uh, before they didn't get the license for it. So that's an interesting you know, we could have potentially yes. seen that. Right. Yeah, and that ended up going to uh, I forget who it went to. I have it. It's like THQ or something. <laughs> Can't talk about it because it has it has nothing to do with our uh, our podcast. But um, it was definitely not as good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So number four, and this is the first in that little uh, subgroup that we're gonna start talking about. This is uh, Diddy Kong Racing. Woohoo! So you want to talk a little bit about um, 
about the difference between Nintendo publishing and Rare self-publishing. Yeah, in terms of how to how to tell uh, if you have one of those. Um, yeah. If yeah, so if you're if you're looking at the game uh, either on the cart or on the manual, um, you should still see the Nintendo logo uh, alongside the Rare logo. Um, but what you'll actually see is it'll say above the Nintendo Racetrack logo, it'll say exclusively distributed by Nintendo. So um, yeah, it's, right. it's a slight distinction. They're, they're still very much involved with the production of the game and the distribution of it. But in terms of the actual publishing, which again, I, on the business side, I don't know why they would do one or the other. I'm assuming there's a money basis behind it. Um, but yeah, the, this is the first game in their entire history that Rare actually self-published, I believe. Yeah, and um, just one little distinction between this one and the other three games that are in this little subgroup. Um, on the other three, along the spine, it says published by Rareware, rather than just the Rare logo. It actually says published by. But on Diddy Kong Racing, it's on the front cover, bottom left corner. So that's where they put it on their first game. Looks like moving forward, um, they moved it to the spine. And I'm yeah. not 100% sure if they also included it on the front. Yes, they did. So they probably yeah. added that distinction so you could see it from the spine as well. Yeah, I think that they were um, still figuring out what that's going to look like because um, mm -hmm. I think this might have been the first game that Nintendo um, did that did that with. Um, they've definitely done it a lot, especially on Game Boy and the N64 era. Uh but, and they're still doing it from what I can tell, but the difference is nowadays they don't actually make that distinction uh, of showing, of telling you on the game that it's exclusively distributed by them unless you look at the fine print in the in the very, very back uh, with all the text. Um, so you can tell by that sometimes, uh, also by the code, the 45496 UPC, uh, as well as by the fact that they sell it on the Nintendo store, which they only sell games that are distributed by them and or published. So random random facts there that you probably don't care about. Um, but Diddy Kong Racing was a very cool That's game. Cool. I liked it. Yes, I was going to say, as far as the actual game itself goes, um, this is one of Rare's games that I played the least of. Um, one of them I didn't play at all, which we'll get to a little bit later. Um, I do recall renting this game, either renting or borrowing, and... I had I was more excited to get into the little um, the little bumper boat or whatever you call it was it, was it a, a hover boat or it's like a hover boat yeah um, yeah I was so excited to get in that and like drive around and like explore like the waterways um, and then also the plane um, but I, I didn't I didn't play it enough I, I wish I had like would you consider it to be kind of like an open world exploration type game with racing elements or yeah in a lot of ways yeah yeah so it it sort of is a meshing of the mario kart 64 racing with uh sort of like a mario 64 or banjo kazooie um style now were there were there adventure. collectibles that you had to collect yeah um not not quite the same as not quite a collectathon but uh okay. in each in each race you had items that you had to collect uh and then secret keys and hidden in some of the uh, some of the levels it has been a little while since i played so the specifics of it um 
trying to recall. Uh, and then so if you find those, then you can right. open up special things. And then the overworld itself, you had to kind of explore and find secrets there to kind of explore and find more. And then there were boss fights. So once you finished a world, you had to fight, uh, you know, have a, a race against a really hard, you know, large creature. Um, it was a fun game. I really enjoyed it. And I'm surprised. I, I, I really, I never realized that you hadn't played it much. I, th- I thought it was something that was in your wheelhouse. Yeah. I, I... No, I, yeah. Unfortunately, I spent way too little time in that game. Hmm. Yeah. And um, the other cool thing with this is that they kind of on the sly, uh, you know, showcased characters that were part of the game because they were all original characters aside from Diddy. Uh, and some of them actually went on to become stars of other games, which is, I thought, really cool. Um, which ones? Conquer was in there. Uh, Banjo. Banjo and... and uh, wasn't there a... I'm, okay, so I'm like 80% sure that there's another character that they were working on another game for and it just didn't come to fruition. Maybe tipped up the uh, turtle. Pipsy, Timber, Bumper... The one I was thinking of was Crunch, you know, from the Donkey Kong Country series. Mm. Yeah, so drumstick, whiz pig. Yeah, so it was a cool game because yeah. you kind of like got to see a little bit of a preview of what they're going to do, even if you didn't know it. So, uh, and yeah. it's fun going back to it if you if you didn't play that game before and you didn't realize like, oh, cool, Banjo's in here, and you don't even think anything about it. Just oh yeah, they put their character Banjo yeah. uh, when in reality it was the other way around. So that was a cool thing. Um, was, uh, I think Smash you Smash Brothers before Smash Brothers. Kind of, yeah. Uh, I definitely think this is a game that you need to, you know, check out and give another shot. And Blastcore, just like and, and Splatoon. <laughs> <laughs> so we did we did the poll, and what was it, eighty something percent of people said that you should try it. They said that it was a good game. You're missing out. Yeah. So out of a whopping like like six people. Uh... <laughs> I think one person sided with me and the rest of them are all like, oh, go play the game. <laughs> okay, right. so moving on. Number five. Now, this is a game I think is near and dear to both our hearts. Banjo-Kazooie. Love Banjo. Um, fantastic game. Fantastic collect-a-thon. Um, it's because of this game that whenever I hear someone talk about uh, the Gobi Desert, <laughs> I think about this game. Um, I've actually beat this game 100% at least twice. I did it once on N64 and also on the uh, HD remaster on 360. Okay. Um, so I love it. Uh, it's not hard to go back to. It's easy to pick up. It's easy to get sucked back into. Um, what do you think about it? Yeah, it's it's amazing. I think it is uh, one of the best 3D collectathon platformer games. Yeah. Uh, if, if not the best. Um, actually, the only game that might beat it is its sequel. Uh, I know some people yes. think think the opposite, but uh, yeah, it took what Mario 64 was doing and then other, you know, other companies were trying to replicate it, right? And Rare just said, hey, this is how it's done. And I think, in all honesty, you know, Mario 64 is incredibly important because of it basically creating that genre, right? Bringing games into 3D. But if you're looking at the genre itself, I think Banjo is a better game. Um, I think uh, yeah. some of yeah. some of some of the um, actually is there a lag between where where you're hearing and because you, I feel like there's always this response going on uh, where you're waiting a few seconds before you say anything. 
Yeah, there is. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I think that uh, I think that they did a lot in terms of introducing more collectibles. So as you're going, they do a fantastic job of leading you and guiding you through the level with the uh, music notes, right? So you know, there's a smaller collectible throughout the game that you want to get all of them it's not like the coins in mario there obviously was a mission to get a hundred of those in each level but this one expanded on it and you know you didn't have to do all of it every single time you came in but it was fantastic because you wanted to collect them so you went out of your way to go find them and upon you know getting to that area you stumbled upon something else that you may not have seen otherwise and they did a lot of those little tricks to you know just sort of navigational development tricks um to to make you want to explore yeah. this world and yeah just having so many different things to collect uh it wasn't quite overkill like maybe some one of their later games was uh but yeah i was i think it was the perfect melding between <laughs> what it would become and what it was and they found that sweet spot yeah, it actually says there's uh, there were a hundred um, puzzle pieces and nine hundred musical notes. That's a lot. Yeah, that but it was right. done like you said in a way that that, that made you uh, it just you found them naturally, and before you knew it, you had them all. Yeah, Such and, a good and game. yeah, and, and they did the thing where you know later on you get new power ups that make you want to go back and explore and find new things. Um, so yeah, definitely a, a fantastic game, one of their best and. Oh, one other um, small little note I wanted to mention that's kind of interesting. I actually played Banjo-Tooie first. Hmm. So how was it going back to the first one? Um, like I said, it wasn't difficult, but in my opinion, being someone who prefers the sequel, um, it was the change in quality was noticeable. Um, I, don't, I don't know how to explain it. I, we can get, get into it when we get to the sequel, but um you can definitely tell that the sequel expanded upon ideas right and so mm -hmm. going from the sequel to the prequel it did feel like something was missing maybe right because i just, just spent so much of my time in the sequel first and yeah. then going back to it, it was like okay it's like it's still fun it's still a great game and to this day i still think it's an amazing game um probably easy if you haven't played either it's probably easier to go to the first one if you're only going to pick one um just because you'll hit that 100% marker sooner than with the sequel, I think. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a little quainter. The levels aren't quite as right. spread out and, and wide, which is why I think it's a, a slightly better game than Tui. Mm -hmm. um, actually, or did I just say the exact opposite <laughs> a few minutes ago? <laughs> I don't know. They're, they're both they're both really like fantastic and for different reasons, uh, which is strange because they're so similar. But if you, if you are in the mood for a more quaint game where the world the worlds that you're exploring are a little bit more manageable and easier to kind of come across everything yes. than this is the, the one you want to go to. And I guess we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more in a few minutes, but Tui obviously expanded on it. And it, depending on your mood, you could go to it and feel a little overwhelmed, uh, a little easier. So uh, also, do you want to talk a little bit about the music? Because it's, it's really good stuff. Music is good. I like music. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but this one had. had yeah, a, I don't know. What, what do you score. want to talk about? It's just it's an incredible. The composer soundtrack. and yeah. all that. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was Grant Kirkhope, right? Mm -hmm. Let's see here. 
the songs basically will be stuck in your head after you, long after you finish the game. I even find myself humming uh, humming the the main hub world's theme occasionally. Yeah, it is a a fun sort of unique you know type of music that you wouldn't normally hear in a video game, and uh, you know they use the banjo, right? Because it's banjo kazooie. Oh. <laughs> I just opened the instruction book with everyone who's listening <clears throat> and inside on the last page, I had a, a handwritten note, which uh, this isn't get, really going to get in spoiler territory, but towards the end of the game, you're required to remember uh, little sayings. Um, do you remember this, Matthew? Part of yeah. The yeah. It's like a uh, trivia thing kind of based on what thing. you've, what they've thrown at you before. Yeah. And you're basically supposed to be, I believe, remembering all of these over the course of the game. Um, I had written them all down. Um, so I have 30, 30 written down so that <laughs> when I was playing the trivia game, I was like, okay, I remember that. That, that was this one. And in all caps, I wrote the answer. Okay. So I never wrote it down. I just struggled my way yeah. through it. And <laughs> I, I think it was, the, yeah, I think it was the worst <laughs> part of that game to be honest, but, yeah. oh, well, but yeah. So if you're, if you're going to play the game for the first time, you can either do what Jason did and write these things down as you come across them or just use a guide <laughs> we have the internet now <laughs> all right yeah, but yeah the, it was a great game do you want to move on to the next one yeah cool i do or we could just talk about banjo kazoo the rest of the episode um okay. moving on jet first gemini which i kind of gushed over i think in earlier episodes of our podcast um great game not without its faults um was yeah so this would be one of their 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 first uh open world adventure game where you actually have multiple characters Mm -hmm. select from and then each character has their own unique attributes which help you explore the worlds in different ways opening up new pathways um, which lead to other planets and it just kind of uh unravels from there um I'm trying to think. I know we've had this conversation before. We couldn't quite recall. I don't think you have to 100% the entire game to beat it, but you do have to get all tribals. So right. a specific collectible, you have to get 100% um, before you're allowed to move on to the final boss. And uh, I know that's a, a, a thorn in many people's sides. They didn't like that. Um, yeah, if, if you're not a completionist, then you're going to go into the game and then be upset because you can't finish it unless you do something that you may not want to do. Uh, but for somebody like us, um, you know, it, it worked well because we wanted to do that anyway. So we probably didn't even really notice, <laughs> to be honest. It's And it's not as simple as just wanting to go collect them. Because of the fact that these are characters in the game world, they can be hit by friendly fire. And yeah, you're, you're right. I forgot about that. <laughs> as far as you to start the whole level over. So you have to be very careful where you're firing. Um, and just keep restarting. If, if you kill one... Sorry. All right, I, f- I forgot about that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, this, this game sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I enjoyed it. Um, and I think that I... In all honesty, if I if this is one of those games where if I were playing it nowadays, I probably would not be as favorable, right? Yeah, but you know, back then I had more time on my hands, so it was it was fine, and I enjoyed it. But um, what I thought that was cool about the game 
you did a good job of explaining, you know, it kind of unravels and you have multiple, you know, multiple characters you have to use to, um, to ex- find new ways to get into new areas. It kind of, in a lot of ways, was a melding of sort of like exploration-based maybe platforming with a, a third-person shooter. And I remember the shooting was fun. It, right. it was the game is well done. It just has some of those interesting uh, design choices that, yeah, I was gonna say most people didn't like, but now I'm, I'm remembering. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that you have to that you can't accidentally shoot one of the characters at all in the entire game, or else you can't. Get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for to be fair, uh, you did go back and revisit the earlier worlds multiple times, right? Um, so it's not it's not like it's not like you were expected to get it perfectly the first time, but I do understand where the frustration comes from. It is what it is. Um, you just had to be careful. It's not like a rare started you off uh, on a level with tribals in front of you between you and your enemies, right? So it's not like you were just automatically off the bat going to shoot them. It's just they were kind of tucked away in corners and the enemies are kind of running around and you had to be cognizant of like where they were in relation to like where you were firing. So it was fun, but I can understand the frustration. Yeah. And I think most people just ended up shooting them because it was fun to shoot them. <laughs> yeah. That, that game for, for being a rated teen, uh, it was pretty gory. Yeah. Um, by gory, I mean, uh, obviously your, your enemies are these bugs. So it's like this, this race of ant like creatures and they just explode in like bug guts and like their limbs and heads go flying everywhere. One of the collectibles is actually ant heads. So (laughs) if you collect enough of those, I believe um, that unlocked a cheat. I don't recall which one it was, but I think you had to collect like a thousand of them or something. Um, Watch them probably way off. It's like you have to collect a hundred, but there's also one in there probably. Yeah. One in a zero or two. But the tribals themselves would also uh, meet similar gruesome fates if you were to shoot them. So uh, for being teen, I guess they weren't human, right? <laughs> yeah, and the blood wasn't red. So, all right. But um, yeah, actually, you, you brought up another point that I was actually well, considering. I think the tribal's blood was red. Was it? Okay. Well, that, you're not supposed to shoot we them. Might have, though, so. we, might, <laughs> we might have to double check on that, but I'm positive that the, the they probably blood was red and the bugs were like green blood. Yeah, they probably didn't show that part to the ESRB when they were <laughs> reviewing it. <laughs> like, no, don't shoot those okay. guys. They're good. You're fine. Yeah, you um, don't shoot them. You collect them. <laughs> but yeah, it was sort of interesting how they had like skill point type of, um, not skill points, but you know, achievements that you could unlock within the game that gave you those uh those cheats uh they had those cheat code things in a lot of games actually you know big head mode um all all sorts of different things all the all their most of their games had a lot of different uh variations on the same sort of uh, ways that you could change up the game um did this one have the mr pants code i know at least one of their games you you could like turn characters into their their sort of mascot mr pants so yeah it was that was one of those yeah, and then that was something that was you know, you, throughout all all of the rare games in this era, you could you know, you had a lot of fun just messing around with it, like you were saying with uh, GoldenEye too. You know, you you use Game Shark for that, but yeah, yeah, big head mode was definitely in that one. I know. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything okay, else you want to say about Jeff? Because I know you wanted to do like a whole podcast just about Jeff Force Gemini. So is there, is there more that you want to talk about there? No, I figured if we ever did do an episode on this game, um, I was going to go back and actually like, replay 
huge chunks of it just to kind of mm. like remind myself about everything. I have the um, the official Nintendo Player's Guide, and uh, I was flipping through it the other day, just kind of like reminding myself. I think it's a great game. I, I would love to see a sequel. Obviously, it's not going to be on Nintendo platform, but I think it's a great IP. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that uh, Rare hasn't considered, or I'm sure they maybe have considered it, but hasn't uh, you know done something about making a sequel. I, I feel like it would work really well make it a little bit grittier i think it would work really well on the uh, xbox but maybe one day okay let's moving on to number seven now this is a game that i didn't play until much later in my gaming career um you had it and i think i watched you play it a little bit and you loved it donkey kong 64 I did like this game. This was a really fun one. Well, moving and on it, to number eight. <laughs> <laughs> and we do that joke so many times in this podcast. Okay, moving on. Um, no, but this was uh, a game. I think people are starting to come back around on it again, though, and like appreciating yeah. it. But so some of the stuff I was saying with uh, Banjo Tooie about it just being a little overwhelming. That's what this game was. And I'll be honest, if I were playing it nowadays, I'd probably agree. Um, playing it as you know, a teenager that did nothing but play video games, specifically Nintendo video games, uh, I, loved, I loved the way that they did it. They did it. Um, the reason why it's so overwhelming, there are five characters. You have to go back to certain spots to change into those characters. And there are collectibles that can only be collected by that specific character, meaning that you basically have to make your way through the entire game uh, five times uh, to collect everything. It right. is a huge game. It'll take you hours, but it was still a really well designed. I mean, removing the fact that you have to, you know, that you have to collect everything five times. You know, go back five times, and you know you can't just switch on the fly. Um, removing that, the the design of the of the levels was fantastic, and they did a lot of really cool cool things yes. with progression and. Uh, mini games throughout it like it was always switching things up it never felt the same um but yeah i, I loved the game did, did you ever uh, complete it yes i did um when i eventually did go back and play it i did get the was 101 percent right yeah um is that what it was i think so okay um yeah it was it was like it was something odd like that like there was one extra collectible that you had to get in order to truly call it 100% even though it mm-hmm. pushed it over 100%. But um, yeah, outside of that deliberate design decision by Rare to make it where you had to collect everything up, uh, uh, again with the multiple characters, um, I agree that the game was fantastic. Um, I do recall being very, very, very frustrated with one of the mini games. Um, I can't remember which one it was. Um, and I can't remember if you had to play these mini games five times or if the mini game I, in that world was different for each character. Do you recall? I I don't think that was specifically something that had to happen five times. You could do it with any character, okay. I believe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There there was one with the little, little ankle biters. Um, yeah. From the Donkey Kong Country series, and oh my gosh, it frustrated me because you're against the clock and you have to hit like a certain number, and I believe it's ranked. Is that what it is? Like gold, silver, bronze, or something like that? Yeah. And you yeah. have to get gold if you want to get the the um, golden banana or whatever yeah I, I know exactly which one you're talking about and for years the name of that mini game was etched into my brain because i, I probably 
had to play it a hundred times before I could be, you know, beat it. Um, and I think it's a pretty infamous uh, mini game as well. I think most people who okay. who played it yeah. trying to trying to beat it had the same issue. It was tough, but um, yeah, the mini games themselves, aside from that, were really fun. It had a lot of cool things, uh, different different types of play styles that switch things up. And um, yeah, it was it was a great game, and it introduced a lot of the other Kong family, and it had the DK rap. Which uh, I believe you said that you're going to yeah. uh, sing for us on this podcast. <laughs> you're the singer. I mean, you got the Jigglypuff <laughs> oh. voice. You, you actually used to sing the DK rap to me all the time. <laughs> I did, but you know what? I'm not going to subject myself to that anymore. To the one person listening to this at this point, <laughs> um, I, I think uh, maybe if we ever get a Patreon, uh, <laughs> that'll be behind the, behind the paywall. <laughs> okay, uh, um, I want to talk about an interesting factoid about this game. Um, It looks like it was the first rare game to uh, require the expansion pack for the N64. And before we get into that, originally Jet First Gemini was going to be that game. They ended up not needing it. Um, So you might find uh, boxes for Jet First Gemini out in the wild that actually show the required, you know, requires N64 expansion pack on the box for Jet First Gemini. Apparently those are extremely hard to find. Um, they ended up, uh, they started putting a sticker over that, um, which is the, the, the box I have here. Um, the, the sticker, they replaced it with a sticker that says designed for N64 Rumble Pack. So they dropped the expansion pack requirement and basically just advertised that you can use the Rumble Pack with it for Jet First Gemini. But then moving forward to DK64, um, it actually required the expansion pack to work just because of how... <sighs> it was just a saturated game pack just full of content and just uh just a huge game um but it came did it come with it yeah i believe so i believe that's how i got mine yeah so it came with the expansion pack they didn't leave you high and dry and require you to go out buy anything new it came with it yeah and i absolutely i remember feeling like it made a difference like the game looked a little bit crisper it felt like such a huge game uh it, it it was one of these things i was like i remember watching you know putting in the expansion pack and thinking what's this going to do and feeling right. like oh yeah i see it i get it so yeah it was, it was like such a great game it's, it's, it's one of those games that i look back and remember fondly while also recognizing that it's also really bad <laughs> in a lot of ways <laughs> yeah just, um just being a fan of the genre you know really helps if you're a big uh, you know collectathon fan uh this is going to be one that you can sink your teeth into would you say that this game holds the crown for collectathons? That not necessarily has to be like the best quality game, but just in terms of sheer content and uh, how much you have to collect, <laughs> how much you have to do. Yeah, would you consider this to be the king of collectathons? Yeah, I can't think of any other one that I think after this point they, you know, most companies started realizing, you know, that there was like a progression where it was like more and more, and then they realized, okay, we kind of made, we might have oversaturated this. So yeah, I don't think any other game has come close. Cool. All right, next on the list. Oh, we didn't even talk about the multiplayer mode in TK64. Oh yeah, we actually had some fun with that. Did we? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure both yeah, of us so played together. Super split screen action or duke it out in single screen free. Single th- screen free for all. If I remember, it was largely 
the mini game stuff. Right. On that one. So you're playing the mini game, trying to get high scores against other people. It's so crazy how much they fit in that game. Yeah. But I, I might be thinking of the multiplayer in Banjo Tooie. No, I remember. Mm, Ram- I remember playing, and Rambi was in there. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. All right. So moving on to the next game on the list, um, Perfect Dark. Here's another game that required an expansion pack. If you didn't have it, um, you were only able to play multiplayer challenges. Um, There's the combat simulator for one and two players, so you could not do four players. Um, and then you could have up to eight simu- simulants. I guess their version of bots. Um, so that's what you could do without the expansion pack. Otherwise, you needed it in order to play the story. Yeah, and uh, it was a that was another fun game. This is another one that was exclusively distributed by Nintendo, published by Rare. Um, did we make mention that Jeffrey Gemini was one of those? We didn't. We should have mentioned that. Okay, so this is the third one, uh, and yeah, I, I I had fun with this. This was essentially. I think this is what they started working on after they couldn't get the Tomorrow Never Dies license, right? Uh, so it plays a lot. Yeah, it plays a lot like GoldenEye um, just expanded on. And I'm actually glad that they refined. didn't get... Yeah, refined, exactly. Uh, I think the world that they created was actually really fun. And the characters, the story, uh, I, I liked it. I, I got really, right. really invested in you know, in the story, and it took the gameplay from GoldenEye, but made me care a lot more about what was happening. Interesting. I, I didn't know that you were uh, that you felt so fondly of it. Yeah, I remember really liking it. it. You know, in terms of first-person shooters, I didn't play a whole lot of them, but this is one of the ones that I I really got into until the final boss. Um, yeah. I just remember that being extremely hard. Uh, the, <laughs> Very frustrating. Like, yes. Yeah, it, like changed colors, and you had to shoot like the. I don't even remember all the details of yes. it. I just remember being really mad. Yeah. It, yeah, I think it, he had like a shield and um, I can't remember if you couldn't hurt him until his shield moved or if you had to actually shoot him until his shield dispelled. Um, but it's it, for a while, it seemed like nothing was happening and it yeah. was like confusing. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, I think you actually had to like go to a certain place where you could shoot Okay. based on the color. Uh, I don't... I don't know. Like I said, it's been two decades. Yeah. Um, I like this game. I I actually got the uh, Nintendo Player's Guide shortly after getting the game. I can't recall if I got it at the same time as I got the game, but uh, what's cool about the Player's Guide is it actually has a comic that explains a little bit of the backstory of Joanna Dark and uh, the Carrington Institute, who she works for. And I think it touches on Datadyne, which is the enemy corporation. So it's kind of interesting. It's not just the typical, you know, player's guide. It has a little bit more to it. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. Did it have uh, any information on the backstory of Elvis, the alien? Uh, I don't think so, because I think he first showed up in the yeah. game. Yeah. So I don't he was, think there's anything to... Yeah, he was one of my favorite characters. I liked him. Yeah. He was funny. Okay, well, I think we can both agree that we liked that game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, the multiplayer was good there, too. Um, yes. I, I don't know. I, I, I think most people, uh, you know, when they talk about multiplayer first-person shooters, they talk about GoldenEye, not necessarily this one. Although I think this one was technically probably better, but yes. Yes. it was there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, so the next in the lineup is this is now this is one that I haven't played. Okay, 
Um, this is uh, Mickey Speedway USA, um, developed by Rare, published by Nintendo. Um, what, was it developed with assistance from Disney Interactive, or did they just have to slap their name on it? I believe that uh, if there was if there was a collaboration with them, I think it was pretty minimal. Uh, yeah. The Nintendo had a, a for a short time sort of a little bit of a deal with uh, with Disney to bring out some of the games. So they yes. had this one, and then also the Game Boy Color one, um, as well as Mickey's Racing Adventure. So. Uh, okay. Three different racing games, I think, but uh, this one I think is obviously the best one, being actually on a console instead of a, a handheld. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a functional kart racer. Um, nothing special. It, it's it's not offensive. You know, when you're playing it, you're 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 gonna ma- you know make your way through it in just the, you know, exactly how you would expect a, a standard kart racing game to go, which is a little disappointing considering it came from Rare. Yeah because they did such a good job with Diddy Kong Racing. Uh, what I enjoyed about it was mm-hmm. the the fact that you're going through the entirety of the USA. It's like a you know a little bit of a travel thing. It's kind of like a, a it's kind of like a mesh between uh, Mickey, uh, you know Mario Kart and Cruising USA. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I own the Japanese version. I don't have the American version, but it is something I need for my collection. Eventually, do you have it a uh, complete in box? I don't think so. Let me. I can confirm real fast. One second. Uh, I think I just have it loose. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the footage and the pictures I've seen of it, it looks kind of just like a an okay Mario Kart sixty four clone. Yeah, and and those were a dime a dozen back then. Uh, To be honest, this is not one of the high points in the rares n64 catalog um but it, coincidentally they actually this actually released at the same time as the next game we're going to talk about i think like just one week prior oh wow i didn't know that if i if my information here is correct i have my own little excel sheet and unless i made a, a typo on here uh it's, it was basically like a week before but the next game is okay. it is a sequel to an amazing game so it's Banjo-Tooie. Um, like I said earlier, when we were talking about Banjo-Kazooie, I actually played this one first. Um, I beat this one 100%. I loved every second of it. Um, <laughs> I have fond memories of playing this game and actually talking on the phone with another friend of ours back in high school. Um, he was playing at the same time, and we would just be on the phone playing. Um, I don't know why that was considered enjoyable back then, like, craning your neck or having it like at a at an uncomfortable angle but then like playing a video game looking up at a tv but it, it was fun um kind of talking about like what what we did here or like what what part are you on and you know stuff like that it wasn't matthew so i know you're probably jealous now i could have sworn that we did that though <laughs> we probably did but did you play it again <laughs> well i did it with banjo kazooie so maybe i did it with banjo too you're like hold up i need to go talk to another person about what i'm doing right now <laughs> yeah i gotta go switch to save files to save file 2 now <laughs> but um yeah i mean this is another great game a uh, lot a lot more transformations um which was something that the first game had but it it kind of just dabbled in and i feel like they really expanded upon it in this game yeah um do you remember do you kind of like remember fondly on the transformations as well they got a little wacky with this one. Uh, I think this yeah. one had it was like a washing machine. <laughs> a washing machine that you could shoot out dirty laundry. You had yeah. T-Rex. 
yeah, the, I, I, you know, and they kind of did this with um, the same thing with when they made ukulele, right? They because this was such a big part of the Banjo series that people liked when they made the other game that is not published by Nintendo that we're only going to briefly mention. Um, they did the same thing, right? They and and I think that it didn't work as well, um, but they, you know, they, what basically what they did was said, hey, we have this world we've created and we're going to make these transformations that allow you to explore it in a way that you otherwise couldn't and unlock things that you otherwise couldn't. And so it was a good sort of way to basically add a third character that was always changing uh, within the game. Yeah, I was trying to remember what you had to do in order to get Mumbo Jumbo to transform you. And I think you had to collect, was it Mumbo tokens? Okay, so in this game, did Mumbo transform you? Because he was a playable character in this one. Um, yeah. Was it uh, Umbo Wumba? Oh, yeah, yeah. What's her name? The, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The female. Humbo Wumba. Humbo Wumba. transform Banjo into a number of objects, such as a walk and talk statue or a tidy whitey shooting washer. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I, the... I did not oh. read that off the back of the box. Good. That's pretty good. You should, uh, you should work for Rare. <laughs> um, but yeah, the. This was a cool game because they had so much to it. So it kind of it wasn't quite overwhelming in the way that Donkey Kong 64 was, but definitely there was a lot more in it um, than Banjo Kazooie had because more more playable characters, a lot more to do with the transformations. I think each each of the worlds, each of the transformations you did, there was a lot more to do um, than there was in the original. Mm-hmm. So, and I remember that statue yeah. and the uh, kind of Aztec level. That was that was a fun one. Yeah, um, and this was also uh, the game where the two were able to separate, um, which they couldn't in Banjo Kazooie. That's right. Because uh, was always in Banjo's backpack in Banjo Kazooie. Banjo Tooie allowed them to separate, um, and they they call it divide and conquer. But that was kind of a fun a fun thing to do. Um, yeah, and also, and we forgot to mention in both games, uh, you, there's flying involved, so that lets you explore the world in a whole different manner. Um, yep. Yeah, so they, yeah, exactly. They really, you know, figured out how to make you explore and, and, and enjoy exploring. And so I, I love the series for that. Yeah. Um, this one also had uh, introduced multiplayer. Um, so they had kind of like a first person shooter multiplayer mode, which is, you know, very similar to GoldenEye or Perfect Dark. Um, they just <laughs> swapped out the skins and weapons and stuff for Banjo Kazooie themed items, which was fun. Yeah, shooting um, eggs and everything. That was fun. Yeah. It says there was a dozen mini games, including five different shooting modes. So I don't recall spending enough time in this to be able to like recall all of those. I just mm-hmm. remember playing the first person shooter mode. Yeah. Being, yeah, this is exactly like playing Perfect Dark or Goldeneye. <laughs> <laughs> and that was also incorporated into the single player in a few spots as well, yes. right? Yes. So so yeah, they, they definitely there was a large variety. That's why I, le- I love this genre because you know when done right, uh, it, it you know you never really know what you're gonna come across in, in terms of just exploration and also in terms of gameplay. And this one did that perfectly. I, I do remember a couple of the later levels, um, specifically Cloud Cuckoo Land, uh, that just got a, a little overwhelming, uh, hard to hard to navigate. I, I'd say. Yeah, that, that one I do recall being frustrating um, in certain places. I liked which one? Which which one was the? Uh, 
Oh, Pterodactyl Land. That was the dinosaur one. That was the one where you transform into a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Hailfire Peaks. That's that was the world that one half was lava, the other half was it's cold, frozen ice. Yeah, yeah. So you had to you had to solve puzzles on one side that opened up things on the other, and you had to kind of go back and forth. That was fun. Um, Jolly Rogers Lagoon. Um, Witchy World. Oh, that's another one that I always remember. That's the one that was like it was kind of like a. Uh, dilapidated amusement park. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty early in the game. Uh, I remember liking that one a lot. And they the the worlds also uh, expanded as well um, as you progressed. So it started off in you know in one area and you're going at it, and then all of a sudden, boom, you have a whole new area to explore. That's what I remember that specifically from that level. Yeah. I would I would say Jolly Rogers Lagoon, the, the music for that world is is a standout um, for this game. So if, if you are in the mood, fire up YouTube, go listen to Jolly Rogers Lagoon. We'll wait. You can pause us. Yeah. All right. Uh, cool. Yeah, that's a great game. Um, would you say their best? Um. Yes, I think if I'm going to be objective, I would probably consider this their best their most uh refined it's it, it's expanded upon but it's not they, they dialed it back you know from donkey kong 64 just a little bit right just a cool cool all right i think we have one more to cover right yeah, we do this is a big one conquer's bad fur day game developed by rare and then uh published by themselves exclusively distributed by nintendo correct uh yes um this was an interesting game i i enjoyed it uh, i think you like it more than i do but i think the most interesting aspect of this game was kind of its history how it started off uh starring conquer you know who, who originally appeared in diddy kong racing and they were making a much more family friendly game it was essentially another banjo type of game and they did put out a game on Game Boy Color, um, the Conker's Con- uh, Conker's Pocket Quest, I think it is. Um, so that one is did actually come out with the sort of you know kid friendly aesthetic. So if you're interested in what that might have been, like you can go see that. But uh, yeah, this was supposed to be a pretty big game. I, I saw they're they're putting it out, promoting it in Nintendo Power, and then eventually it turned into this. And then they decided, let's make it naughty, and uh, it worked in some ways, not so much in others, but you like it, right? I do. Um, I don't know if part of the reason I liked it so much, at least as a kid, was just it was that time in my life where getting into like edgy stuff was cool and like it made me feel like I was growing up. Um, a little interesting story, another interesting story that I have from my little background um, regarding this game is I was able to purchase this game at launch. Um, when it came out however it was only under the stipulation by my father that i had to leave it sealed and wait until i uh, turned 17 which um, clearly on the front of the game it says this game is not for anyone under age 17 so my dad took that seriously he would not let me open it or or play it um, until i turned 17 and even when i turned 17 i said okay i'm gonna finally open this up and he was like well i thought you were gonna wait till you were an adult he wanted me a way to get it until I was 18. And I was like, oh, come on. Like, it says right here, 17. Eventually, he like caved and I was able to start, to start playing it. It definitely is edgy. It's definitely adult humor. Um, everything you've heard about it's true. <laughs> uh, 
I, I also really enjoyed the like pop culture references, um, the callbacks to all these different uh, classic movies that we've grown up with. It had, you know, a World War II section. It had a section kind of spoofing on Aliens, uh, Matrix. Um, it had an alien, or a, not sorry, an aliens, a dinosaur, kind of like a prehistoric area that was yeah. fun. Dracula. Dracula. See, the, the Dracula area, I always remember that area, but I recall not enjoying it quite as much. That's why I remember it because yeah. it was a little frustrating. Yeah, the fly. It, you have to fly around as a bat. The game was all over the place. It was <laughs> one time you you might be playing as Conquer, then you're getting transformed into something, and then all of a sudden you're doing that. I, I can't recall. Were there collectibles in this game, or was it pretty? Not much in the. Just... Yeah, they turned it from a what was supposed to be a collectathon to more of a straightforward uh, action adventure. Right. Um, there may have been. I'm sure there was something that you collected, but. It wasn't. It wasn't no longer a collectathon. Yeah. Right. And uh, yeah, the, you're right. It was all over the place, and sometimes that works better than others. And that's kind of why I look back on it, and I, you know, I have, you know, interesting thoughts on it uh, because it was kind of inconsistent. Some areas worked a lot better than others. Uh, they had the context sensitive pads, right? So you, if you, um, you know, you you go to one area and you stand on that area and you push a button and you can do whatever is based around that area. Um, I don't know how, how to describe that better, but yeah, so it wasn't, you know, one button was, was that, yeah, exactly. It was, it was specific to where, whatever you were trying to do in that area. So, you, you know, it was kind of a weird mechanic. I think it worked in most cases, but um, yeah. Well, the, how about you could explain it best if you talk about probably what was probably your favorite boss fight of the game? The Great Mighty Pooh. Yes. Yes. Maybe explain how you attack him. Um, again, and again, it's been almost two decades, so I think what you do is you have to throw toilet paper into his mouth when he, as he's singing. Yes. Is that correct? Okay. Yes. Um, so yeah, you using the context sensitive <laughs> button. That button is now okay. I'm going to throw toilet paper, uh, and it was a, okay. This is. Yeah. You know the game as, as adult as it was. Really, it's extremely juvenile. It just has some, you know, some bad words, and most of them are actually bleeped out. So it's really not, it's really not that bad. Honestly, kids these days see, see much worse on on regular television. But the uh, but the, this was such a fun game because it was so juvenile, and this boss was a giant pile of poo, and he sang opera, and so the the, the boss fight itself was a musical scene where he was singing and then as he was doing his big operatic, you know, oh, uh, he'd open his mouth really big and you have to throw toilet paper in there to attack him. Um, yeah, it's, there are a few, there are a few moments in gaming that are as classic as that. Um, I know, I know you were, you were a, a little bit more opposed to scatological humor at the time. So I know you were, I remember telling you how often that was. Yeah, <laughs> you were like, yeah whatever. <laughs> but yeah it was it was a fun game it did some interesting things but because there were moments where it just it really kind of derailed at moments it, it really i wasn't a huge fan of it um in in that regard as a whole as a whole package but it had moments that were just i don't know a little bit mind-blowing that they were doing stuff like that um I actually also had a similar situation as you where i i was able to buy the game as well and wait until i was a certain age um but I got the game at t when it was twenty dollars <laughs> instead of buying it full price. So that's the one <laughs> that I had. 
That's and amazing. I, thinking yeah. that after I launched, this went down to twenty dollars, and now yeah. it's worth a pretty penny. Yeah, and honestly, I, I really wish that your dad had told you, no, you have to wait until you're 30 to play this game because uh, you might have been able to sell it for a lot of money if you still had it sealed. <laughs> you have to yeah, wait until you're an yeah. adult with children <laughs> before you can unseal this game. But yeah, um, it is a valuable game these days. It is uh, risen in price, so if you are interested in playing this one, uh, you're going to spend a little bit of money Um unless you get it on the Xbox. Um, and then also the other interesting thing was Nintendo just kind of didn't really promote it because they were, you know, they, they had this game and they were like, okay, well, it's a, an adult game. And that point, they really did have that, the, uh, the, the viewpoint of they are for kids or at least family friendly. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it was kind of, I mean, yeah. they they had just had an M-rated game in, in Perfect Dark, so it wasn't like it was unheard of, but this game went out of its way to kind of, you know, scare you. And they had... To were, offend. Yes, to offend you. Yes. And man, they definitely went all out with making sure they did not get people confused. Like, oh, this cute squirrel, let me... I played the Game Boy Color game, I want to play this one, you know? Because those stickers <laughs> all over it, do not play this game unless you're of age. You have to be 17. Yeah. Um, yeah, that... It was a it was a weird time. <laughs> they should have had a requirement on the side uh, instead of re- uh, expansion pack required. Uh, age seventeen required. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was the uh, last uh, last rare game on the Nintendo sixty four, and um, they only did one more game with uh, a Nintendo console after, which is uh, Star Fox Adventures, which began its life on the Nintendo sixty four as Dinosaur Planet. So. Very... Which, if you're listening now, uh, you're probably aware that the ROM for that has leaked and it's all over the internet. So yeah, one of the later builds. Can find people. Yeah, yeah, it's a later build, but yeah. I, I remember uh, keeping up with the game when it was supposed to be an N64 game and uh, really being hyped for it. You know, I was, I was a big you Me know too. Rare fan at that point. And, oh, Rare's coming out with a new game, Dinosaurs, cool. Uh, but yeah. yeah, it didn't come out. But I don't know. I, I, Star Fox Adventures ended up being pretty cool. Um, they also had a couple other games that were supposed to come out for GameCube that never happened in Cameo and uh, Diddy Kong. I'm sorry, Donkey Kong Racing. Uh, so, you know, they, they were still working with Nintendo up until a certain point, but for the most part, N64 really was the, uh, was the highlight of, of their, you know, career with Nintendo. Any other thoughts, Jason? Yeah. No, I just, uh, Rare was such a good company. I, I remember back in high school, a thing that I did for some reason, even in my, like, regular school binder or whatever um i had like those laminated uh you know the clear sheets that you slide papers into and i would just print out i forget what website it was it was from but i would print out like the synopsis and like logo of like these rare games as they would come out and i would like dinosaur planet was another one of them but i would just like flip through those and kind of look at them and be like man i freaking love these games don't ask me why I had them. <laughs> I think Dinosaur Planet was the only one that like was still needed to come out, but like I remember like being so stoked on that one too, and just like looking forward to adding it to my N sixty four rare. I, I keep wanting to say rareware instead of rare because I don't want people to confuse us for thinking that we're talking about yeah, like it's you know it's a rare rareware game. Rareware, yeah. Rare, um, rare, rare. Yeah, and Star Fox Adventures. I. 
I loved too. Um, yep. And uh, they're still around, uh, not owned by Nintendo anymore, or even partially owned. Um, but, <laughs> but the uh, you know, I, I really do feel that there was a magic in that era. You know, there, there were certain uh, people that worked for the company that ended up leaving. Um, so you know, that probably had a lot to do with the change in quality, or at least the feel of the games. And also, uh, you know, Nintendo always works very closely with the companies with their second parties so i'm sure that a lot of the magic that we you know know of from this era also had a lot to do with nintendo you know working their magic as well so i'd love to see what you know the two of them two companies together could create again but probably won't but it was nice to see banjo in yeah, smash it's yeah, it's it's unfortunate that Playtonic wasn't able to make out some sort of deal to maybe become a second party studio or something with mm-hmm. Nintendo to begin developing things for Switch. So it yeah. could almost come around back full circle, you know. Um, yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah, and and I think that the you know ukulele games really could have been something special with Nintendo's guidance. So maybe one day we'll we'll yeah, see. I probably should have prefaced, but when I said Platonic, Platonic is the company that that was started by most of the the people from Rare. That after they left, um, when they eventually got back into game development, they started a company called Platonic, and then they came out with Ukulele, and then what was the sequel called Ukulele and The Impossible Lair, I think. Impossible Lair, um, which was while good, was not as well received. Is that correct? Right. Yeah, it, it felt like. Uh banjo game without the polish yeah yeah but those aren't nintendo published games so let's stop talking about them before we get in trouble uh all right and this has gone pretty long and quite possibly our worst podcast yet so thanks for sticking with us worst podcast longest podcast i think um the least amount of content (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i think uh having this video feed that we're looking at i think that's probably delaying your your feeds that you're hearing from me and that's been throwing us off. So if you've been listening, if you actually listened all the way through, I have no idea why you did it, but thank you uh, because we definitely did not have our normal rapport going uh, because every time I said something, I had to wait 12 seconds before Jason heard it. (laughs) So uh, with, with that, let's go ahead and end it. Do you have any other thoughts or where people can find you if they feel like finding you on the interweb, (laughs) interweb, interwebs? on the interwebs if you want to find me and you don't already follow me it's retro x games on uh, instagram um cool. obviously our podcast instagram is nintendo aficionado and matt where can they find you at this point you probably shouldn't find me this was... <laughs> uh, i am at gamecube freak games freak spelled correctly e-e-k <laughs> All right, let's let's just quality put content. In, yeah, let's just let's just end this now. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.